Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the doctor, that mucky pup, as he travels the vortex and arrive at episode 484. I hate trolleys. They're just Daleks without the interesting bits. Mm-hmm. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Pretty good. Doing good. well. Anybody doing anything fun this week? I broke down and made a purchase. What'd you buy? I picked up the 7th Doctor Series 3 Blu-ray set. Oh, nice. I now have the long missing from my collection, <laughs> Curse of Fenric. <laughs> Finally. Finally. And that was your last one, right? That was the last of the classics that have been available that I did not own. And now I feel the need to go ahead and start replacing on Blu-ray, and I blame Glenn. So, <laughs> <laughs> so of the Blu-ray sets, is that the only one you own, or do you own another one? Well, um, yesterday, well, actually it should be delivering today, uh, <laughs> because I had some Amazon credits, I should be receiving the fourth doctor series seven um and then i will own two <laughs> oh, okay oh, okay so yes i bought it but it's not yet in my possession <laughs> i have them all i'm actually ahead of you on something finally you're very, you're very much ahead of me <laughs> i was able to get uh the invasion oh yeah oh were you yeah sorry i got it for me for valentine's day they very finally cool. dropped in price nice very cool that's such a good one yeah I, too, made a big purchase. I bought a uh, washer and a dryer. <laughs> it's unfortunately, like not Doctor Who uh, related. <laughs> yeah, well, our, our 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 dryer, no, not our dryer, well, our dryer's going probably out, too, but our washing machines, it's been kind of on its last legs for the last year now, but it's got a, a part that's going out that I could probably replace, but the the washer and dryer we got them my parents got them for us when we bought our first house about 20 years ago almost 20 years ago so they're almost 20 years old so we decided oh, please don't make me feel that old <laughs> we decided that it was time to just go out and buy a new uh washer and dryer so we used our last stimulus check for that and then of course i did i did get around to doing the taxes this week after the big computer debacle last week so i got those done got money coming back from those so nice that was pretty much it i didn't watch anything other than one division this week i've been keeping up with that but or last week a good episode yeah still enjoying it was it. a good episode so good uh do you guys watch anything i read a book what'd you read all flesh is grass <laughs> not it's the an doctor, actual book not the doctor who one yeah not the Doctor Who book. There's another book named All Flesh is Grass, which I did not know about until I saw it on my mother's shelf. Oh, is that right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Did you guys know it was a book? Uh, only I because, didn't know it was a book. Only because when I was searching up uh, it on Goodreads to add Doctor Who, All Flesh is Grass, <laughs> that it came up as one of the choices. <laughs> it's pretty I knew good. it was based on a line from Shakespeare, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, All is that the- where that's from? I, th- I think all of the um, Time Lord Victorious titles came from Shakespeare in one shape or form. Hmm. I could be wrong on that, but I, I believe I read that somewhere. Well, it's it written good? by Clifford Simak, 
And the premise of it is there's this small town where this barrier slash dome goes up over the, the city. Except it, it won't let any living thing out. Like they can toss inanimate up and like cars can go through it if they're empty, but nothing can get in or out. And it was put up by some sentient alien plants. And this, you follow along with this guy who kind of discovers it and then becomes a spokesperson for the plants. And they want to come over to earth through this alternate dimension and help humanity and partner with them. And it's really good and really interesting. I just wish there was an epilogue to tell me what kind of how everything worked out because it kind of <laughs> ends in a way that's like, okay, that's our resolution, but that's only a partial resolution of, okay, that's the motivation behind why this could work. I want to know that it actually does work. Did you look the situation? Did you look to see if there's a follow-up novel to it? I, I haven't yet. I don't think it, there is, hmm. but that's a good point. I should look that up. It sounds interesting. It is. It's a, it's, a, it's a quick read. Apparently, this guy used to write for, uh, like, Outer Limits. and mm. He's described as the, as a, oh, I forgot the word, like, master of sci-fi. I'd never heard of him before. <laughs> <laughs> What's the author's name? Clifford Simak. Simak. Mm. Doesn't ring a bell with Clifford, me. Clifford D. Simak. Not familiar either. He won a Nebula Award and has been awarded three Hugo Awards. The grand, he was the, named the third Grand Master by the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. Huh. What's the what's how old's the book? It was written in the sixties. Oh, okay. So, if you go on Goodreads and read the description, it says something along the lines of, "Long before Stephen King and, and put a dome over a city, Clifford Simak did it first. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely worth reading. I was able to get a digital copy from the library. Huh. I'll be doing. You didn't just take the one off your mom's shelf? I was going to, but I hadn't gotten back there by the time I was ready to start. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> and the library had a copy. <laughs> Sean, how about you? Uh, Mel and I continued our uh, Criterion watch. Uh, actually got through two of them. I got uh, um, the Seventh Seal, mm. which I keep wanting to refer to as the Seventh Samurai, which is also on the list, but uh, <laughs> two different things. <laughs> Um, which, you know, I was familiar with, but I never actually sat down and watched. And um, I remember Monty Python and the Holy Grail poking fun at Seventh Seal in their uh, trailer. I did not realize how much they stole from it. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, you know, it's it's pretty much Monty Python, Holy Grail is pretty much the Seventh Seal, but without the jokes. Yeah, I was just saying, <laughs> sans the humor. <laughs> it, it's it's, it's kind of all there. I was like, oh, wow. Um, I can see why it's regarded as a classic. It's not exactly one that I think I would rush back to rewatch, but, uh, you know, it looked good. It's very pretty. Yeah. And then we, uh, and then we watched Swing Time with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Ooh, love that Which movie. is one that I'd never seen. So love that, movie. that was also quite enjoyable. Hmm. Well, it was enjoyable up until the, uh. The, the the Bojangles. Oh, bit. yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's, yeah, it's, it's. It's of its time. It's of its yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have to keep biting my tongue at times because there's, yeah. there's just nothing quite like, hey, look how great this is. Oh, and there's a blackface yep, routine. Yep, okay. Yep. And it's, it's, it's such a travesty in a way because that set is so amazing. I mean, that, that whole dance number is just incredible with how it's put together, mm -hmm. except it's in blackface. Right, right. <laughs> it's just, eh. 
Yeah, it's not a very woke film, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, that is for sure. 1930, whatever it was. So, Cool. Well, should we talk about some news? Yeah. We all will have a new book to add to our uh, our read list, because Alex Kingston has written one for River Song. It is really? called, yes, The Ruby's Curse, A River Song Melody Malone Mystery. Turning to melody, eh? Yeah. So I'm looking forward to uh, to reading her take on River. I think she's probably has one of the best handles on it. So, what was that? Um, I just read it. What was that book that uh, the last book that had um, uh, Melody Malone? Dang it! I just read it last year. Was that the one that came out like when the season came out? Yes. I uh, can't for the life of me remember what it's called. Anyway, yeah, I like that one, but I don't think she wrote that one, so it'll be interesting Mm-mm. to see, yeah, as you said, her take on uh, River Song and Mel- Melody Malone. Cool. A stylish sci-fi noir adventure is how they're billing it. Coming out May 20th. What else we got? Well, Big Finish has some early adventures excitement happening with some prequels and some sequels. First off will be After the Daleks, where we discover what happens in the aftermath of Dalek Invasion Earth, where with Carol Ann Ford reprising her role as Susan, um, kind of exploring what happens as London cleans up after the chaos. And then we have The Secrets of Sen, where we learn about the events preceding the Abominable Snowman, which is written by our good friend Andy Frankham Allen. It will also feature Lauren Cornelius taking on the role of Dodo. How do I know that name? Lauren Cornelius or Dodo? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, both. No, I know who Dodo is. Um, <laughs> Lauren Cornelius. For some reason, that is uh, striking me as familiar. I remember looking her up when they announced when I saw this news had come, and I didn't recognize anything that she that we had listened to anyway. She's done uh, Big Finish before? I think so. Okay. My internet's being spotty or I would look that up. (laughs) (laughs) I searched her up and got an IMDb page, but I'm not sure it's the same gal. So she's done some Fourth Doctor Adventures, The Further Adventures of Lucy Miller, Miller, and some Tenth Doctor Adventures. Wait, there's a Further Adventures of Lucy Miller? Yeah, from 2019. Does it mean she survives? Spoilers. Mm, no, I believe it's set earlier on. Oh, that's on. right. I think Actually, I think I made that joke um, when they announced that, and Sean said, nope, it's before I that. Think, <laughs> I, I, I think you did. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> and spoilers, I don't know what happens to Lucy. <laughs> oh, she just died in the last one we saw, didn't she? Her last one we read? Oh, no, she didn't. We thought she did. No. Nice to know that we can laugh at our same jokes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that one can't even be as old as some of them we bring up too. We can just keep recycling things. No, I'm really excited to uh, especially listen to that one about uh, Secrets of Debt Sin that Andy's writing, um, and I think that's uh, Peter Purvis doing that one, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so that'll be neat. Andy always does some great stuff. I think this is really kind of. Uh, and Big Finish, this might be his first real dip into an actual Doctor story, right? He's always done. He's done some peripheral stuff. He did that Countermeasures story. I 
think there was one other one. He yeah, did I think there was one other book. one too, but I don't think it was doctor specific either. It'll be, be good to hear it. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm also excited for the uh, uh, After the Daleks. I think that's a kind of a neat premise of the cleanup after Invasion. It'd be really interesting to uh, to hop into that and then go listen to An Earthly Child to see how, how well they connect together. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our reviews. Deadline. It's been 40 years since Martin Bannister encountered the Doctor. They were different men back then. Martin was young and talented, and the Times' seventh most promising writer to watch out for. The Doctor was mysterious, crotchety, and possibly oriental. It was an encounter that destroyed both their lives. Pity poor Martin now. His career is in ruins, all forgotten. His estranged wives keep dying in the wrong order. And there's a nasty green stain out by the wardrobe that could be an alien footprint, or possibly just mold. Martin's life is about to change unexpectedly. Impromptu poetry readings, elephant expeditions, and an obligatory bug-eyed monster. And a last desperate chance for love before it's too late. Sounds like it's time for the Doctor to come into Martin's life again and sort him out permanently. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't know. Yeah. It. Uh, let me start. I think the first thing I'll say is Derek Jacoby or Jacoby, he does such a good job. He, he his performance is just absolutely remarkable. Um, the 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 problem is that uh, the concept the concept's good. I kind of like the idea of uh, it's kind of it was a different approach to an unbound story where we've got a writer who in in a world where Doctor Who never existed except for in the mind of kind of this unhinged man. So the premise is good. It's just it. The execution is seems. I don't know what the word for it is. It execution's poor, and I think because it, at the expense of this man's this Martin Bannister's sanity, they drive the story into this area of. Well, I don't know. It's it's a, it's it's one of those really difficult stories to kind of put my finger on what I don't like about it. Because there are a lot of good things in it. It's just the the story overall is so grim and it takes me so out of Doctor Who that I just couldn't find myself enjoy listening to it as it you know and it was a bit it was a bit disjointed, especially with the uh the Barbara Wright character, who I believe was the um uh he called her the warden, but the, I think she was, you know, one of the people that watches over the, the people in the uh, retirement home. Um, she was just such an oddball character that I wasn't quite sure if I was getting her from his perspective or if I was actually getting what she was really like. And I think the same thing came across with uh, the Ian or or what, what was his son's actually, Philip. The Philip character, I wasn't quite sure, mm-hmm. especially towards the end, whether I was getting the son's actions based in the perspective of his father or if that was actually how the, how the uh, son was. Because both of those characters seemed very over the top to be just characters in this story. Um, but it's not clear enough if we're getting it from Martin's perspective or not. So that was odd and off-putting for me as well. 
I also the the I, I think I expected more from the interaction between him and his grandson that he finally he gets to put aside his imaginary granddaughter of Susan and try to connect with this grandson but that sort of kind of falls flat too and so just all of that together was was problematic for me Keith yeah I had a lot of those same issues and just all said and done it's a story where it's like you're not entirely sure what's intended to be real and what's intended to not be real and what was in his head and what's not and maybe that was the purpose of a lot of it and maybe and it could possibly be trying to shine a light on mental illness or you know i just i don't know what to think of the story in general and most of it made me rather it was just depressing <laughs> and while the why you said the performances were fantastic the writing and the execution just it fell very flat for me. Yeah, I think you both are absolutely correct there. Um, the the cardinal sin, I think, of this is by making our our hero so unlikable. Yeah, we 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 try and kind of toe this line between feeling sorry for him, uh, as the description says, and then he'll turn around and do something that's just, eh, you know, and and you can have a dislikable character and still root for them. Um, and certainly you can root for villains, but it's very, very difficult to write a character as, you know, kind of a tragic hero and then try and expect to elicit sympathy when they continue to do these things that, um, you know, just put you off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of the story that's like, well, dude, you deserve that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't feel sorry for you because, eh. um, and then the conflicting, is this actually happening or, you know, is it just in his head? The doing Doctor Who and yet not because of the setup that it's, you know, it's just familiar enough Doctor Who while being completely different Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, all of that kind of fed into this. And it, I, I wanted to say that this has been done since and done better. And the only example that I could come up with was an adventure in space time when I, which obviously was not this, but am I, am I wrong? Haven't we done something where we, we read or we reviewed that there was a story out there that was a fictionalized account of the doctor's life, but it was more about the people who were creating him. Yeah. I don't, I don't, or am I making that up? I don't recall anything. What this did for me though, which we haven't reviewed this as a group, but as I've been reading the Virgin new adventures, there's a story by that Mark Gaddis wrote, uh, Gaddis wrote about, uh, called, I think it's called nightshade. And one of the elements in it is a guy that is in a nursing home and he's in his golden years and he portrayed a doctor like character on television in uh you know the, the early days of the 1960s and stuff and so there are some parallels there some kind of meta parallels there but it doesn't go beyond that in fact he ends up sort of involved in this adventure with with the doctor and ace um and so it, it certainly segues differently there but that's the only thing that i could i kind of felt that it, it related to for me well i think part of it is you know I turn out for a Doctor Who story, even though it might be a an alternate universe, alternate situation Doctor, and this was not a Doctor Who story. This right. was a story about a man who 
was horrible in life and is on his deathbed and is having delusions and memories of something he once worked on and almost losing his mind to these memories and ideas and everything. And so it's just not, it wasn't what I would hope for from sitting down to listen to a Doctor Who story. I can, I can buy that too. I think the other thing that, that was a bit troubling was the end, how grim it ends with him, you know, just completely divulging into this uh, fantasy world and going into the wardrobe. And then I presume that he died in there, I presume that he suffocated because it sort of yeah. ends on that grim note. So um, that was also a little unsettling just to, to end it that way. I think maybe, I think maybe I can appreciate what was, what was attempted here. But I think it's just execution was just really poor. I think I think Robert Sherman, who wrote it, got... I think he wanted to get meta with something and really take a different approach to a story. And unfortunately, I, I don't think it worked. I don't think it worked for it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There, and, were, there was so much that was, was going on that it... I appreciate the attempt. Yeah. Because anytime you do something that, uh, you know, kind of crosses over into this this meta world, is, it, it becomes a, oh, okay. But it just yeah the execution of it was so missing the mark that it just it just didn't work for me and i think the other thing that kind of bothered me a little bit about it was in the interview segment um it you know it's kind of revealed that he's not even a good writer yeah you know he he, he went through all of this uh, all of this effort. And then of course, later you find, you know, his little spiel about, you know, I gave up you, I gave up your mother, I gave up this, I gave up that because I was going to be a writer. And it's like, and if he, and at least, you know, his episodes were, were beloved by fandom. Okay. Maybe that kind of can help maybe not excuse, but justify his feelings of superiority. Mm-hmm. But then to come across and no, you're in the bottom 14, uh, <laughs> I, I, just, I just felt like that was one extra slap in the, why am I bothering listening about this guy? Right, because yeah. there, there's just very little redeemable here. And then we well, get to the end and it's like, I, I really don't care if you escape. Yeah. Of, of the fake show that they were talking about, he wrote like only 14 stories, which sounded like a very small drop in the bucket for how long the show went. Right. And yeah. this, this Sydney guy that was interviewing him was trying to give him some retribution because he said there towards the end when he was you know getting upset and storming out that he was he was trying to show other fans that there there would be there there maybe is some merit to him as a writer and he he even messed that up yeah which made me wonder if this was in some way shape or form based on a semi-true story if perhaps Sherman had encountered a Doctor Who writer who was maybe responsible for some clunkers and he, he, he went into it trying to justify and, and, you know, this is, you know, this is going to be great. I'm going to set the record straight on, you know, the, the fandom is wrong about these episodes. And then the guy came off and just completely blew him off or something. I kind of wondered maybe if that had something to do with it. I didn't do any research to find out otherwise, but. Could be. It's not something it, I've heard, it, but. It just no smacked of of just it enough the, truism. Yeah, there's no reference of it in the TARDIS wiki, but that doesn't mean anything either. Yeah. Right, and Sherman's been a long-time fan, so. But yeah, just uh, 
this was just a miss all the way around for me. It just didn't work. Me too. Well, should we move on to the next one? I don't know if there's any more to say about this one. (laughs) Yeah. Exile. Are you sure you're not the doctor? Eccentrically dressed as a guard? No, I'm definitely a guard sent with a report from the Castellan's office. I'm afraid... The Doctor has escaped. Ever since I've been in this job, my mind seems to have been spinning. You know that pet shop down the road? Yeah, why? There's a sort of furry rodent creature in the window, and he's in this wheel thing. The faster he runs, the faster the wheel goes, but no matter how fast he runs, he just goes nowhere. That's how my mind feels. You need a drink. What in the name of Rassilon happened in there? We've got the wrong kind of money and our clothes look ridiculous. Well, do you think it's the medallion? Possibly, yeah. And then the fact that our shirts are undone to our navels. I've always found purple to be a most soothing colour. Whenever I've been here, in in London, before, um, I've always been, uh, you know, otherwise occupied. Oh, with all that doctoring you used to do? Yes. Why'd you give it up? I suppose you could say you wouldn't expect to find me here. (laughs) That's the idea. Gosh, somebody else go first, please. <laughs> I like the ideas in this story. I hated all the drunkenness in this story. <laughs> Everything, that's the only thing I did not like about it. I hated the doctor being drunk and her two friends that were constantly drunk. But everything else about it of these two inept CIA agents trying to hunt down the doctor who's hiding out on right. Earth. As a even, woman, I don't even get the impression that they were they were CIA agents. They were just time lords. They were they were the two time lords that were supposed to have put him on trial. They were striving to be CIA. I think yes, what, I, I think was. that's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And when they let Annabella Weir become the Doctor, she is fantastic. She's absolutely wonderful when she's actually the Doctor, but when she's this drunken, uh, whatever her alias was supposed to be. It just Susan. None of that worked for me. Oh yeah, Susan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Time Lord One and Two being who they were, and most of this is played for laughs, which works really well for me. I just didn't find the drunkenness funny. See, it's the played pretty for much la- the exact same boat. Yeah. <laughs> well, go ahead because I'm going to probably have a much different opinion. <laughs> I, this, I, I think I understand where they were trying to go with it. And, and, you know, playing it up for laughs and doing it as a, as a, a spoof or a farce. Unfortunately, I, I genuinely feel like the instincts were wrong on every level Yeah, yeah. to do it that way. Yep. This is a, a rather historic opportunity to have a woman come in and play the doctor. Now, it's unbound. That's already enough to justify it. We didn't need the whole... Oh, suicide pact changes sex. Yeah, you know that that, that seemed like a really, a, a really first of all, really, lame, of, really offensive is what it offensive, is. Offensive, <laughs> um, to 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 work that caveat in of how that was supposed to work. It's like you're in an unbound story. I, all the rules are off. I get it. I didn't need you to go there with it, and I, I did. I found it tasteless and 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 offensive that that was how they felt they had to justify, uh, you know. Uh, the, the casting on it. And then there was 
the, the drunkenness, which in the history of things about drunk people, I think there have been two funny times the drunkenness has been humorous. One was Arthur and one was with Nail and I. And that's pretty much it. Uh, it, it. It's never been something that's appealed to me personally. And it's not just that they get falling down drunk or they get stupid drunk. It's that they get obnoxious, belchy, vomity drunk. So it's not even cool drunk. It's gross drunk. Yeah. And so that was like, yeah, let me listen to that for an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not social drinking. It's alcoholism is what it is. Yeah. And maybe that's the point is to try and showcase that, you know, certainly with the, 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 the final, um, you know, scene with the three of them together where she's trying to say, Hey, have you thought about doing something else? What else is there to do? <laughs> okay. You know, I, I, I kind of get where you're going, but then to have the other guy just like, well, good luck. Time to leave. The pubs are going to close. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Guy. I just, I don't know. It, it felt like, um, it just, it just felt like a waste of talent across the board. Um, it also then, seems like it's something that, you know, no offense to Nick Briggs who wrote this, but somebody who doesn't really get what 20 somethings in 2003 did. Yeah. Like he just thought, oh, they just get drunk all the time. Well, and no, I'm sure there were more than that to 20 somethings in 2003. I think we certainly know people that borderline. Well, this, it, that let's, that's... let's be real careful here too, because 20-somethings in that era in the U.S. and 20-somethings in that era in the U.K., it might have been very different. I mean, there's there culturally, we are different in, in so many ways. That could have been one. So I don't think I would undersell him for maybe not having his thumb on the pulse. I understand from our perspective, it probably wasn't. But maybe from a U.K. perspective, it prob- it might have been. Yeah, I can I can get you there. And like I said, I think we, we all kind of know people that could potentially maybe fall into this mold. But I think in, in, in my entire life history of every individual I have ever known in my adult life, I think I only ever know one that I would consider a bar fly. You know, when, when, when Homer goes and hangs out at Moe's with, with Barney and, and, and the guys, it's funny because they are the over exaggerated stereotypes of, of, of this type. But that's not where the humor comes from. The humor comes from the situations that they put them in. This relied on the people being the, the, the humor. And that's really kind of where it fell down because they didn't put them in any circumstances that would be overtly funny other than missing out on an alien invasion. But I chalked that up more to the funny on the two wannabe CIA agents. Yeah. And, and really even that the only was borderline. <laughs> And really the only time the doctor was humorous when she was drunk was when she was talking to herself. And that was mostly when the other version was talking to her. Uh, Did anybody find that confusing? Just a little bit. Um, uh, Nicholas Briggs was portraying the doctor. The the problem that I had with this is a lot of times in in past stories of Unbound, we've kind of put our perspective from the doctor's position of where where he is in his, his timeline. If he's of this you know, starts off as the prime timeline. The first story, obviously, was we, we I think we all kind of agreed was the first doctor had he not left. 
Um, the second story, I think we all agreed, was a different regeneration from the second Doctor to the third Doctor. Of course, then we've we've kind of deviated from that in, the, in the, the stories beyond that. But in this one, it's almost like it's meant to be, because it starts out at the trial before the Doctors arrive, because the, the Warlord is being, and his people are, are being sentenced at that time. Mm-hmm. And so it... I think you're supposed to be at least you're supposed to think that this is the second doctor's trial after everything has already happened and except what happens if the if the doctor didn't show up to his own trial and, and ran off and hid. And I think that was the angle that was being taken here. So the problem with the previous doctor is Nicholas Briggs never really plays that doctor as though it was Troughton or anywhere close to that. And so yeah. it that that's a little off putting to me because I'm you're putting me in a perspective of this is where this starts from, but this is where the story changes, only to throw me back and say, Well, this is the previous doctor, so okay, wait, no, it wasn't the Troughton Doctor. It was this doctor, because you're you're not portraying this doctor in any way like the Troughton Doctor. So what are we doing here? So there that to me was confusing and, and kind of contradictory um, to what was being done here. I think that you, <laughs> I think I was, I, I was going to come to this rather critical. And then I thought, no, I'll, I'll back off a little bit because maybe uh, there's, there's more here and you guys will sell me on it. But the fact that you guys dwelled on the alcohol for so long justifies. The story dwells on the alcohol yeah, for so long. Yeah, well, that's long. what, but you guys talked about it for so long that, yeah, that tells me that this, that I was right in thinking that the story dwelled on it too long. The, the entire story yeah. is her hiding out and living in a bottle. I mean, that's basically what this whole story is about. And so there's nothing here. There's no substance to this. The only substance to this story are the two time Lords that are trying to track her down. And from the humorous angle of it, if they're going to make this a funny story, those elements were right, but everything else around it was wrong because as Sean pointed out, they were trying to make the alcoholism be part of that humor and it doesn't work it doesn't work at all in this story so you've got elements that are also contradictory um i think david Tennant and toby longworth were fantastic every time they were on there was a spark or an element of sort of an ad adamsium or even maybe a pratchett style to the to the humor there and so that's what i was hoping this story would mostly be that it would be in the vein of those two authors of how their storytelling is, because that's how it kind of felt like it was being set up. But then it just, it crumbles every time we, we get the doctor. I think the only other funny part that I chuckled at was, and this did have to do with the time that she was drunk was when the one guy in the bar was, was staring at her and Cherry kept pushing her to go over and talk to him and she goes over there mistaking him for the master and does the Venetian Kakito <laughs> on him. I thought that was funny. They, that was played for humorous effect and I thought that worked but really as far as anything else that was the only thing that worked. Well and, and the part of why that works so well is the the joke of she goes through the list of uh, you know Oh all the, all the different names. Yeah. And it's all and the actual actors right, names. Right. <laughs> 
it's a tongue-in-cheek meta thing yeah. is why that joke is even funny yeah well i mean that that was kind of an icing on the cake i just the fact fact that she's mistaking this guy for for the master i think was funny enough but that i kind of yeah. added to it i would agree i also yeah, I had think, the story but i'm sorry go ahead no that's okay i also thought one of the other funny moments and again this goes back to the time lords who i, I think were funny was the reference to the fact that they've showed up and they've been compared to starsky and hutch because they <laughs> assumed that they were coming to the, be the 70s. 70s yeah and it actually is much later in time so they're not quite dressed for the uh, era so i thought that was funny too but again, I think the Time Lord references or the Time Lord piece of this actually did work and, and were funny. That's the thing is, had this whole story, had this been a Dr. Light episode that featured primarily on the, the, the two agents and the doctor was barely in it or maybe even not in it at all, or maybe that would have been the hook is they go through this whole song and dance number looking for the doctor and then we get to the end and realize that she has been under their nose the whole time. Mm -hmm. Okay. That maybe would have been a cool and interesting story for the unbound. Right. I think there was more than enough material just from the fact that you cast a woman as the doctor that you could have done that story and, and not bothered with the rest of it. But the, the marriage of these two ideas uh, ended in a bad divorce. It just yeah. does not work. It's, and, uh, it's a sad it left a bad taste in my mouth afterwards, quite honestly. And, and it's yeah. a sad statement that twice they've done stories with a female doctor and both were played for laughs. Mm -hmm. That's just, yeah. to me, that's a sad thing on top of, on top of the whole suicide joke. Um, yeah. I think another meta reference point I think I read in this was the, the Time Lords using the rubber mask to break into the transmission in order to try to lure the Doctor out was a reference to that um, Chicago incident where during, I think it was uh, Horror Fang Rock, and somebody broke into the transmission with a Max Headroom mask on. So I think that was, I think that was Nicholas Briggs' nod to that. I think I read that somewhere. Unfortunately... The substance the of story, it just doesn't work. The story does get some credit for uh, some quark love, <laughs> even though they, even though they poke fun at the quarks the whole time. Uh, I, I, I I wondered how you Rats were taking. Stairs. I wondered how you were taking that every time. Although she defended them, she she was making them. Yeah, sound, she, she was making them sound, but you know, vicious. But nobody else was buying it. Well, you know, I, she didn't point out the Daleks can't handle stairs either. I mean, right, come on, right. <laughs> not not to put too fine a point on it but isn't it interesting that the quarks show up in a in an audio and it's the farce <laughs> just saying well i think it's 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 also sort of warmed my heart that that she talks about meeting the quarks several times and as we know she's only well the doctor's only encountered the quarks once on screen but has encounter the court corks many times in the 1960s comic series or comic strips. So yeah. I, I counted that as a win. <laughs> I just wish this would have been better. Um, yeah, me too. It, 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 it's, it's striking that, that suicide becomes the element of both of these stories this week too. So if, if in fact, you know, that was a unintended suicide at the end of the last story we let we reviewed, Strange that they, they paired up that way. Yeah, that is. 
I didn't think about that, but you're right. It's kind of kind of an odd coincidence. I am excited for next week because I think we're going to return to some familiar familiarity. Speaking of which, what do we got come up on the schedule, Sean? Well, coming up on the schedule, uh, we continue with our look at the Unbound universe with episodes seven and eight. A Storm of Angels by Mark Platt and Masters of War by Eddie Robson, two of our favored nation status writers. And then uh, and then we get back into uh, Mucho Master, our celebration, year-long celebration of uh, the most villainous foe the Doctor has ever faced <laughs> with I Am the Master, Legends of the Renegade Time Lord by Peter Angelades. Which is a stick around. It's an anthology uh, book, isn't it? Isn't a collection of stories featuring the master. Yeah, isn't it multiple authors too? That I don't know. He's, pr- he's probably um, editor then. Could be. Yeah. He's, he's, he's the one name I have credited for it. So yeah, I'll keep following along on travelingthevortex.com. And while you're there, if you get any value out of this podcast, why not consider putting some value back into it? You can do that by clicking on the Patreon link. Also, please consider giving us a five-star review wherever you subscribe to this podcast, specifically to Apple Podcasts. It helps bump us up in the ratings and recommendations. And make sure you join us on uh, the conversation on our listeners' forum on Facebook. Anything else you guys want to add before we close the show out? If not, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.